Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Franchise Euphoria. Today, I am thrilled to have Nate Riggs on the show. Nate is the founder and president of NR Media Group, a content marketing and social media consultancy that specializes in helping multi-unit restaurant brands and technology companies reach audiences and convert them into customers. He is also the host of Social Restaurant Podcast, a great podcast focused on social Social media and technology for restaurants. He does many other things as well, all focused around restaurants, technology, and social media. Hello, Nate, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is uh, this is a pleasure to be on. Thank you, Josh. Well, yeah. Uh, let's dive right in. You you help businesses take their brands, products, and services to market, and really help with the marketing and technology side of things, with a focus on multi-unit restaurants. I, I I'm curious. Are you a foodie yourself? You know, I try to be. Uh, we we have three kids at home, so you know, our choice of going out to eat is is limited uh, in terms of just how how still they. Want to sit for the next uh, 60 to 90 minutes. But I do enjoy, especially when I'm traveling, to get out. And, and I really like to try the little local places. Uh, not that I'm not a fan of, of the, the big chains and systems. Uh, but like, for instance, I was recently out in New York City last week, had a chance to go visit a restaurant called Criff Dogs in the East Village, uh, which is a place that it, it, it I had known about for a couple years. So that was a really great experience. And uh, it was like hipster heaven, man. It was, it was some of the best hot dogs I've ever had where's that located it's uh it's right in the east village on uh, i can't think of the name of the street right now what's interesting about this this restaurant i actually learned about it in a book that was written by jonah Berger, dr jonah Berger from uh the wharton school uh but it is a hot dog joint you you can tell you're you're walking down the east village and you see a great big sign that says eat me on it and it's got a hot dog <laughs> and some mustard and so that's the hot dog joint and you can go in and there's all kinds of different hot dogs. Uh, I think the one I had was called the Good Morning, which was a bacon wrapped hot dog with a fried egg on top of it. I mean, it was just as healthy as you can get. Oh, man. Um, but in the in this, what's interesting about this restaurant is that there's a telephone booth to the side of the restaurant, and as you're sitting there, you're watching people go into this telephone booth, but nobody comes out. People just kind of disappear. And if you go through the telephone booth, there's actually a bar that is kind of a secret type speakeasy bar called Please Don't Tell, uh, and it's really you know quite an experience. If you're looking for a good time in New York City, I, I definitely recommend Criff Dogs, and then you know taking a venture through the phone booth and checking out the bar as well. Oh, that's super cool. I love trying out new places. I love, you know, obviously even as this is the franchise euphoria podcast, I love local restaurants too. I love franchise businesses, but you know, even the best local restaurants put their systems in place to make them more efficient and, and more profitable. That sounds like a really cool place. I love a good hot dog. So I'm definitely, I'm going to be in New York in June. I'm going to definitely hit that up. And, um, 
and check it out. I'm curious, what? Tell me your background. I mean, how did you get in into all this and and really, you know, I love niche businesses as. As an attorney, I've, I've niched my own practice into the franchise and entrepreneurial space, and I'm always um, pushing other businesses to do so because I just I think it's so great to get focused in and really on what you're passionate about and turn that into to good business. What led you into the restaurant space? You know, I it's interesting. My very first or one of my very first jobs out of college, uh, I was working with a retail marketing agency that focused heavily on QSR. Uh, fast casual wasn't even born yet, so it was pretty much QSR and casual dining. We had clients like Wendy's International, Subway, uh, you know, a few others, as well as convenience stores. A lot of C stores like Maverick and and Tedeschi food shops. Uh, and my job was to do business development. So. I was kind of, you know, back in at that time, uh, you know, you sat down with these great big books that you paid a couple hundred bucks for and they had literally a directory listing of all kinds of different organizations and systems in it. And my job was to do the research and, and call them up and try to see if I could generate leads and get meetings. And so spending about two or three years of doing that, I really started to get my head around the entire industry in terms of, of the QSR segment. Uh, and I really started to, to kind of you know, it it was so cool to be able to go out and read about this restaurant and know about their business history and then go into the, the local, you know, uh, restaurant and kind of experience it firsthand. So that really kind of started my passion for for restaurants. Um, and then, you know, after that, I, I worked in various different agencies and technology companies as a young professional trying to, to build a variety of experience. Uh, and I like to say that I, I kind of started my own business because there was nothing else I could do. Uh, back around the time of 2008, uh, I was with an agency that, you know, we lost a couple clients when when budgets dried up, uh, and I wasn't laid off, but they were moving in a direction that I didn't want to go, and I kind of saw some value in in this new thing called social media at the time, uh, and so I went off and started my first consulting firm, uh, and and really tried to go out and get some restaurant clients, uh, and then you know over years and years of doing that, I'm now on my my second firm. I actually built that business, ran it for three years, and then sold it to an agency in North Canton. Uh, and then took about three to six months off to just kind of, you know, enjoy the family and whatnot. And now I'm on round two with NR Media Group. And I feel like we're much more focused this time. So we do uh, multi-unit restaurant systems, particularly in, in the franchise space, as well as, you know, we, we've got some healthcare clients and some building products clients. Uh, but but restaurants is really the aspirational target, mostly because I just really enjoy the business and I enjoy the challenge of trying to figure out how how to roll out marketing at the local level when you're talking about some of these systems that have six, seven, eight hundred locations. That's that's an interesting game to play. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about that because I, I think it's a great niche. I mean, uh, dealing with the multi-unit restaurants, you're dealing with a. a, a a business that's that's established, that's expanding, that's growing, and they're they're having to deal with all the issues that come along with multiple units. Um, talk to me about social media. I mean, obviously, we've come a long way over the last several years, but still, it seems to me 
that there's some significant lacking in it in in a uh, in social media when it comes to a lot of these uh, multi-unit franchise concepts, and especially when you're comparing franchisors with franchisees. So first, kind of talk about um, what what you think and the value of social media for restaurants, and what your experience is, and what you sort of do for them. Well, it's interesting because, you know, social media is up or down. It, it was really, really hyped for a while, and then it kind of got a bad reputation as not delivering any type of results. Uh, my personal opinion on social media is is just like a lot of other consultants where, you know, it's not the magic bullet. It's a part of your, your marketing and communications mix. And I would even argue that one of the worst things that a restaurant chain can do is look at social media from only the marketing lens. And the reason why why I say that is, uh, you know, an example of this, one of the early guests on my show was Zoe's, Zoe's Kitchen and their partner, New Brand Analytics. And uh, NBA and Zoe's Kitchen, this was pre-Zoe's going public, but they actually used a lot of that social data from analyzing conversations to really drive strategic decisions in the business and play it smart. And we, we talk about that a lot with, with NetBase as well of, you know, what are the insights as a restaurant executive? when you're planning a franchise, when you're going out and you're trying to recruit or select franchisees, uh, when you're thinking about real estate or new markets that you want to go into, you can use a lot of the conversational data and and, and the, the natural language that's out there on things like social media to get information and build insights that can affect your, your operational decisions. Uh, I think that is going to be really the future of social media in the restaurant industry because don't get me wrong, the marketing is great, but if I have to choose between running a promotion on my Facebook page versus sending out an email promotion, maybe with a bounce back coupon or something else, I'm going to opt for email 100% of the time because I know that my open rates are going to be 30 to 40% and my click through is going to be 2 to 3% and that's pretty gonna, pretty much going to smoke anything I can do on Facebook. Um, I also own that asset whereas you know your fan base, Facebook's made it very clear to us that you know we really don't own the fan base, we rent it from Facebook and, and those rental fees in terms of advertising are going, going way, way north right now. Uh, so that's kind of my take on this is that it's, it's a piece of a broader mix and it's for it, social media can be used for, for much more than just pushing messages out on promotions and specials. So I, I recently had the great fortune of, uh, of interviewing a John Jantz from duct tape Mark. Oh, duct tape. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, um, uh, an, an episode that's releasing actually this, um, this week is with Marcus Sheridan. I don't know if you know of. Yeah, Mark. Marcus is a buddy of mine. He's a good guy. Yeah, Marcus is great. So the reason I'm mentioning that is because it sounds like what you're talking about is the combination of marketing and sales, almost all becoming one in the same. And they, those guys talk about that a lot. And I never really thought about it until I heard it from them. But it's so true where, you know, you're talking about, you know, do we do a Facebook ad versus do we do sort of an, an email blast, which, you know, I would equate maybe the email blast more on the sales side and the Facebook on the marketing. It seems to me they have to work together. It's almost one in the same for it to be effective because the reality is the consumers out there are all going online. 
for everything. Oh, absolutely. And well, what's interesting is you bring that up. That's one of the biggest conundrums in business, at least as long as I've been in my career, is how do you get marketing and sales to actually work together? You would think that that would be a no brainer, but a lot of companies really struggle with, I think, particularly around the data and information. How do you, you know, you've got a marketing team, you've got a sales team. How do you get them talking? How do you take down all the silos and get all that information in one place so that everybody has access to it? And there's a lot of variables in that. Sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's systems. So, you know, in a perfect world, those things would work together very, very well. But let's not forget about, you know, the customer service piece of it, too. One of of Marcus's kind of core tenets, he's been speaking on this for years, is this idea of answering customer questions. Simply go out and and figure out all of the questions that your customers are asking in the restaurant. Maybe it's about menu items or calorie counts or where the food comes from. Uh, And then simply use the web, use a blog, use, use social media to go out, listen for those questions questions and answer them even if it's on a one by one basis the challenge that a lot of restaurant systems get into that I think comes downstream in terms of the volume of customers because it's very very easy if you're a business to business organization to really hone in and answer that one customer question because the amount of people that are you know sales cycles are longer you don't have the volume of consumers that are are coming in but when you roll that out to like a Chipotle uh, where there's you know hundreds and hundreds of locations and millions upon millions of customers, that gets really really hairy to try to stay up on uh, answering some of those questions. One of the the case studies that I love comes out of of Canada with uh, Can- McDonald's Canada, and that's the Your Food or Our Food Your Questions entire website dedicated to this idea of simply going out and listening to what consumers are asking and then finding a way to respond to them and and name them in those responses. Responses, you know, whether it's sending them an email or tweeting content at them. But uh, McDonald's does a great job, I think, even taking some of the more snarky questions that they get that, you know, are a little bit, uh, you know, people just trying to poke fun. Uh, but they'll go and they'll create a two, three minute polished video and send that out online. And if you think about it, that what a, what a great way to kill any crisis, particularly around, you know, food. McDonald's is a brand that has come under a lot of fire for the quality of their food and the sourcing of their food. And so this idea of, of our food, your questions really confronts that heads on. Now you can, you can make a case that that's marketing, maybe it's sales, maybe it's also customer service. The whole point I think is that the web in general, whether it's social media or content that you create or that you sponsor, uh, is really going to be up there 365 days a year, 24 seven. And we have no control over how the consumers and the customers are going to use that. So you kind of have to come at it from all fronts. Now, figuring out how to scale that and, and staff it is, is a whole nother challenge, but that's that's kind of my hope for at least the restaurant industry is to start looking at the bigger pitch picture of the web that includes social media and content and then figure out how that fits into all of the departments of your organization. Well, yeah, because it's really not, you know, from the consumer standpoint, they don't care about departments I mean, they care about, OK, if I want to know something about McDonald's, I want to go onto a website and be able to easily find information. They don't care if it's categorized as, oh, this is customer service. This is marketing. This is sales. That's hogwash to them. It's just they want to find information. I think that's what I think that's a brilliant thing about what Marcus um, what Marcus suggests. I I think uh, what's interesting about what you're saying too is that there's sort of this you know with McDonald's and and you used uh, Chipotle as an example and it seems like you know a lot of these 
franchises are coming at it from, we as the franchisors have to be in control of all this. We have to be the one. And how can we answer all these questions when we've got thousands and thousands of franchisees? I mean, one of the things I always wonder is why not give the franchisees a little bit more leverage in that? Why not localize their social media? Why not localize their websites to then answer their own consumer questions? You know, the people that are coming into their places within a five, 10 mile radius. Are you seeing that some of these uh, multi-unit restaurants are actually starting to do that? You know, it's, it's a mixed bag. There are some that are doing it. Uh, but the challenge is, is that you, you know, and you know this from working with franchise systems, uh, not every franchisee is created as an equal. So you're going to have some that have been in the restaurant business for their entire career. And when it comes to operations and procurement and all of the, all of the stuff that goes along with running a restaurant, they're aces at it. And they're really, really good at it. You stick them in front of Twitter or in front of anything digital and on the web, and they struggle with it because they're not comfortable there. They, they haven't had the background or the experience to do it mostly because they've been on their feet running restaurants. Then you have the other side of that where you have a lot of the, you know, two, three, four, five unit franchisees that have taken more of that corporate role. And some of them are very technologically savvy uh, and really kind of take a forward thinking view of how they're going to use the web. Maybe that's driven by necessity. You have to do a lot with a little bit of budget when, when you're starting out like that. So it's all over the board. And I think that presents the biggest challenge for, for at least the corporate entities is that you it's not a, a, an end-all game like you can't say we're going to give all of the power to our franchisees because you're going to have some that you're going to take it and run with it you're going to have some that are never going to touch it because they have other things to worry about so really that idea of a mixed model of having some type of a corporate team that at least can be involved with execution at some point if you have some franchisees that are simply never going to pick it up you know you've got a corporate team that and obviously for an additional franchise fee could help execute social media content marketing at the local level then you have you know the training aspect of it maybe that team with another set of franchisees you've got people that want to learn and want to do it and have some staff but just need a little bit of education and guidance Uh, and then you have the the people that are going to go out and do it on their own and they really just need a little bit of policing to make sure that they're staying within the brand guidelines and and everything is kind of copacetic in terms of their agreement because uh, that's the other side of it is when you get really decentralized like that people tend to go off in their own direction and and you know one of the the hats I've worn throughout my career is is branding so that is I think the brand manager's worst nightmare is just letting go of control and and taking that decentralized approach because how do you ensure that that brand gets maintained and it's consistent and that is part of what a lot of people sign on when they sign a franchise agreement. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, but it, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I think, and I, I don't know if you, if you agree with this or not, but uh, I truly believe at this stage in the game, it's a must as a franchisor. If you don't have a social media manager, if you don't have somebody who's in there, and I don't care what the title is, but if you are running a franchise and you don't have somebody who's in charge of a social media presence out there, to me, that's a red flag. I mean, because the, the reality is you either have to, that's part of controlling the brand at this point. I mean, if you're not out there actively controlling it, then it's controlling you and, and you need, and I think part of that is, and I know there's a tug and pull between, you know, how much control do we put over to the franchisees? Um, 
and, and and I think that's an interesting kind of topic to dissect because I do think it's a different strategy um, from the franchisor to the franchisee. In other words, the franchisor is more looking at the brand overall. Where, and you know this, in most in most brick and mortar restaurants, it's location, 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 and Absolutely. you have to be able you have to be able as a franchisee to control a little bit of your social media because let's be frank, I mean the people in the community in Columbus, Ohio are going to be vastly different from the people in San Diego, California and being able to highlight local events and being able to highlight localized things through the use of social media that comports within the, the national franchisors larger brand can definitely be accomplished. And to me, it's what the smart ones are doing right now. They're already onto it. And the ones that are lagging behind they're I think they're going to regret it at some point. Well, yeah, it's it's one of those that, you know, the, the web has changed and, and the web has changed because consumers' preferences have changed. I mean, social media is great, but if, if I was a new franchisee or a new restaurateur, I'd be paying a lot of attention to mobile in general, uh, particularly around things like mobile payment. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this uh, on our another show I do is called This Week in Restaurant Technologies. It's with Brandon Hall of, of Next Restaurant, so I want to give him a shout out as well. But one of the things we discovered and discussed was the Amazon recently released that you can add things to your shopping cart by simply tweeting to the hashtag Amazon cart, hash Amazon cart. And, you know, if you look at the technology to do that, it's really not that complicated at all. And it's only being applied to something like e-commerce or retail right now. But I think there's going to be a huge uh, wave in the future to be able to do the same thing with your orders on restaurants, especially, you know, people leaving the corporate office and they're on their phone and they use Yelp to figure out what you know restaurant they're nearby and then can place their order via Twitter before they even get there because at the end of the day we're all busy people and we got to you know get out get our food get back to work um but all of this centers around this idea of mobile devices where it's whether it's social media or payment or anything else uh everybody's carrying around the internet in their pants today and i think that is going to be the biggest challenge for restaurateurs going forward so nate uh, i think this is a great segue for you know i'd love to talk about uh technology and how restaurants these days are leveraging technology for their brands i mean i know that's sort of a a broad statement but what are you seeing as some of the unique or or trends that are going on with with the restaurants that are staying on top of technology you know, there's there's a lot of uh, folks that are, are doing a really, really great job in terms of the bigger brands. Uh, one of the ones that I really liked was uh, Chipotle's use of the Farmed and Dangerous series. What's what's interesting about this, not just from technology, I mean, they they syndicated this series on Hulu Plus. My wife and I are, are heavy Hulu watchers. Uh, but not taking the traditional media approach, they launched an entire series. Rather than just advertise, they built this series and, and ran it. And it was pretty good it was entertaining it was four episodes they had some some big name celebrities but i think probably one of the most innovative uh uses of technologies that i've heard about recently uh is from a guy named josh smiley at or i'm sorry jason jason smiley at capriati sandwich shop out in vegas they're about 100 units and jason's a tech guy he he actually went to a specialized high school so he's a, a developer um but he runs this restaurant he's the cto and he has integrated google glass into 
through his training process for new employees. So what they're doing is they'll they'll get a new trainee or a new employee to work a shift. And that employee will wear Google Glass throughout the shift and they'll actually video what that employee is doing from that kind of heads up, you know, first person display. And then after the shift, the manager will sit down with them and kind of go over the video and review things they could have done differently or show them where buttons are on the cash register. And to me, this is a really, you know, basic but innovative use of of new technology. Now, the challenge is, is that we're still very, very early on in this whole Google Glass thing. It's not a mainstream technology technology yet. And every other day in the press, you see somebody who's been beat up for wearing Google Glass in a public place or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out because when you are, you know, if you're using Google Glass to video a shift, you're also video videoing customers. And at a big chain like that, it's debatable as to whether or not you would need to get that customer's consent, uh, even if it is for training purposes at all. Uh, but I think that they is a lot of opportunity around the idea of wearable technology, both in training, but also in, in other aspects of, of the restaurant business too. Uh, and that's where I think we're, we're going to see a lot of innovation come in the next few years is, is around the idea of wearables. That's really cool. And actually, I, I listened to that episode on your show and I was the first. I thought, man, that is what a great use uh, <laughs> for Google Class. I would have never thought about that. Yeah, Jason's Jason's a brilliant guy. And I, I you know, just from you talk to him and, and he's he's definitely one of those people that I think is probably three, four, five years ahead in, in terms of the way that he thinks about new technology. But, you know, they're 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 not a small startup chain. I mean, 100 locations, franchised organization, they're, they're a formidable player in the industry. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. Now, do you do any work with independent restaurants that maybe have expanded on their own and not gone the franchise model? You know, we've we've not really had a chance to do a lot of work with with independents. Uh, you know, we've we've done some educational seminars to folks that are, are single shop, you know, owners through the Ohio Restaurant Association and some subgroups of that that I'm a part of here in Columbus. But our focus is really on on chain restaurants, chain systems. I do like to play, you know, if there's a franchise component because I've got a lot of, of B2B background as well. And I think that presents an interesting challenge where, you know, y- you've got the consumer marketing that drives people into the store but as a franchisee I want to see that you know the 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 organization that I'm going to give a lot of money to has a good marketing platform uh, and so I think there's a little bit that's what I love about it is there is really some interplay between the business to business side of it as well as the business to consumer out of it for restaurants and that's that's really where we try to stay focused well and that's it I mean do you see I know you don't it you don't obviously work with a lot of the independents but I mean there's just got to be I believe there's there's some big gaps obviously in terms of operations usually between the franchised restaurants and the independent restaurants um, what have you seen there or have you noticed anything well it's you know I think what's interesting is independent restaurants you know, and I say independent and, and let's lump in, you know, uh, restaurant systems that have one to 10 to maybe even up to 20 locations. They have a little bit of an easier game right now because technology has changed so fast. I mean, if you think about it, in the last five to 10 years, we've seen everything kind of switch to software as a service. And now we're seeing even a further progression of that into mobile uh, applications as a service or MAAS. Um, and 
And so a lot of the restaurants that kind of came online with one location and have decided to expand from there didn't have to undo the mess that they would have made previously with localized systems. You get into some of your bigger chains, like I, you know, your I, I, I used to work at at uh, Bob Evans Corporate, and you know, that's a, a a restaurant system that has about five six hundred locations, legacy systems, great big POS systems that have been in place for years and years and years, and even a lot of that is internally maintained by a team of of IT support and developers. So when it comes to implementing new technologies that becomes like moving mountains because there's a, there's so much that's already been built on top of that platform so the the guys and, and gals that are out there with one to five locations right now if they're smart they're thinking in terms of what are the new technologies out there that are much more scalable so that they can grow with us particularly if we're going to grow very quickly and i think you do see a lot of that in the fast casual segment right now uh What's interesting is that a lot of QSR brands that are now flipping over and trying to come out with fast casual restaurants, but they're facing the same challenge because even if it's a fast casual concept, it's still operating on the legacy systems that have been in place for years and years and years. And that presents that presents not only a challenge in terms of time and resources, but it also presents quite a bit of, of budget dollars that go into undoing everything that's been set up previously. Well, that's fascinating. I, I really <coughs> appreciate everything that you're doing in this space. I think it's I think it's awesome. I mean, I I'm a foodie myself. I obviously love um, uh, franchises and systems, and I I, I love uh, the whole the entire restaurant business. Uh, take uh, a, a few minutes here at the end and just tell people more about your your two podcasts, uh, your business, and then also if you want to talk about, I know you're going to be at that upcoming um, national. Restaurant Association uh, conference in Chicago, which is really cool. Yeah, we actually uh, we leave on Saturday morning, uh, so we're we're driving out to Chicago, just a short drive out there, uh, and we're going to be doing some live recordings from the show. So the the podcast that I do is Social Restaurant Podcast. Uh, we talk with predominantly restaurant CEOs, CMOs, and executives, as well as consultants and other industry uh, movers and shakers, just about trends and technology and operations. And and you know we've even gotten into some of the political stuff in terms of of uh, you know executives we've interviewed who are very very uh, active in the NRA and some of the lobbying groups and things like that. Um, so that's one show. We air that live on Fridays, and it gets syndicated in a bunch of different places. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, Spreaker, on NateRiggs.com, on my site, as well as FastCasual.com. Uh, and we are—we just crossed episode 41, so it's it's a little bit of a seasoned show, and we're having a good time with it. The, the newer show that we do is on Wednesdays, and that is a live on-air Google Hangout. It's live on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and that is with Brandon Hall of nextrestaurants.com. It's about a 10 to 15 minute Google Hangout. And we typically talk about three to four different uh, news releases that are around specifically technology and restaurants from mobile to POS to everything else. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. Brandon is, is just a lot of fun to talk to. You can catch the recorded version of that uh, on both our sites, uh, nextrestaurants.com as well as natereggs.com. And that, that goes live on Thursdays. 
That's super cool, man. Keep up the great work. I love what you're doing. By the way, who's the who's your cohort on your podcast, Social Rest? Yeah, podcast. absolutely need to give a shout out to Sarah Lowenstein. So uh, one of the things that I do on the side is I teach at Ohio University. I teach content marketing. Uh, Sarah was one of my students uh, two years ago, and she just graduated with a degree from the Scripps School of Journalism in Public Relations and Journalism. And as of next month, she'll be coming. Uh, she's the first full-time employee of, of NR Media Group. But she is uh, does the news segment every week and does a really, really nice job with it. And she'll be with me at the show as well. So uh, shout out to Sarah. She's been doing really, really great work for us. Well, that's really great. I look forward to continuing and to follow uh, everything that you're doing. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you on the show another time to do sort of a follow up. I, I feel like you and I could talk about uh, this stuff for a long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's really been fun. And thanks so much for the invite, Josh. You, uh, you keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode.